I will say that dad, Mark, was whenever I had something that held me up from contracting in these timesheets, he would come down and just make sure everything was okay. So just for entertainment, I would make things not work. <laughs> they're like, hey, we, this we, so would you just like put something in that was like, um, not make it work? Um, I would do a little voodoo here. Yeah. <laughs> I love so it. So he, he would come down and visit if things weren't working. I think when you spend enough time with somebody and you don't want to be without them mm -hmm. is when you kind of know. Welcome back to another episode of All Over the Place with Lane Fable with another special quarantine edition. Today's guest is a CEO of a boutique advertising agency in New York City. She is the voice of Siri and she is my mom, Kathy Fable. Now I'm the voice of Siri? People think that you have a serious, um, a better voice than Siri, they say. People either love or hate my voice. Kind it's of really, one of those. It's funny though, because you guys will say that my mom sounds like Siri and I don't know if we, any of us, think that you sound like Siri. But in the vlogs, I, I think I could see it. I sound like Siri when I'm yelling at you. <laughs> no, you do not. I don't know how your voice is lower than mine, but it's all good. I'll edit it. My voice is always lower than mine. No, I your voice is literally never lower. Um, what can I tell you? So I wanted to start off. I've been trying to get my mom. She's a very busy lady, but on the podcast. And you guys have asked many times, because my mom isn't in the vlogs as often, I wanted them to get to know a little bit more about your background. I was gonna say, you know a lot about me. Well, yes, I'm gonna play dumb for this because I know all these answers, but I know that there are a lot of insights that you have to offer and a lot of information that can help people, although we're in a quarantine, so I know business is not as usual right now. But speaking of business, I wanna go all the way back to Let's say like around high school, like how did you know what you wanted to do with your life? Because I know from an early age you kind of had it down. Well, I knew what I wanted to do, but unfortunately my parents were not willing to send me to college for that. I wanted to be a doctor or a lawyer. Mm -hmm. um, and I had the ability to draw. And I had a wonderful teacher in high school that told me that I had to go into commercial arts. His name was Mr. Carbone. And he was just an amazing guy. And it was something that I was doing that was fun, so I figured, hey, why not do it? So when did you, was it an art class that you like realized, or? In 11th grade, I had a job. I think I made $500 doing ads for an alarm company. And $500 was more than I made in an entire summer. Yeah, I that's work a lot. A camp, well, yeah, especially you know in the 70s, the late 70s. So I wound up um, doing this job, and it was so easy to do, and I got paid right away. And being a camp counselor, I think I worked all summer mm -hmm. and relied heavily on tips. I don't even think I made $500. And it just seemed something seemed like something that was really kind of easy and logical to do, and it was fun. So I think it was um, right before my first year of college, I wound up getting a job at a company called Nassau and Queens Publications. And I was designing ads for a woman named Lamise Denton. I know you are so good with names. I'm not. And I became kind of the the employee between Lamise Denton at Nassau and Queens and this guy named Dave Negrin, who I used to draw illustrations for. Um, I would get five dollars an illustration to trace over with a rapidograph pen um, different product shots, like little bottles of Prell shampoo and. 
um, all sorts of different things that they would put in these weekly flyers. And I would get $5 a drawing, and I literally would be able to draw maybe 500 in a weekend. So I think my father couldn't believe how much money I was making. He's like, you really keep need doing to. It. Yeah, you really need to keep doing this. And it was really easy and it was fun and I could do it kind of on my own time. But I kind of became the employee fight between these two groups mm -hmm. within the same building. Uh, and I remember I was making $12 an hour and they offered me $15 an hour to jump ship and go work for the other company within the same building. Um, so I did. And that's, $15 an hour was a lot of money That's like then. minimum wage in New York City now. So back then that was, that was really a lot. Um, so it was good money. But I really want to dive into like how you started your own company because I think obviously that is something that not everyone can do and have a successful company for decades. So when did you decide that, like once you realized you were going to be in advertising, well actually let's go back, where did you go to college? I went to the Fashion Institute of Technology and um, it was a wonderful choice for me. Um, again, my parents said that I was very fortunate because they didn't have to take out student loans. My parents saved enough money for all of us to go to college. And with five kids, that's a lot. Mm -hmm. um, but the one qualification was it had to be a New York State University. So in-state um, tuition. I lived in New York. Um, it had to be a state university, so you paid lower tuition. Mm -hmm. So it was between a couple of schools, and I, of course, had my eye on some private schools like School of Visual Arts and Pratt, and my parents were not really into it. But um, FIT really was uh, a wonderful choice. It was a very competitive environment. And I was an advertising design major, and at the time they had somewhat courses set up based on the business, and nothing was computerized, so we were taught how to do mechanicals and how to do magic marker comps and things of that nature, but it was... Um, That's so foreign now, I feel like. It's so foreign, nobody does it. Yeah. But at the time it was something that um, if you could do it well, there was endless work for you. So I was very fortunate, and yeah. I did well. Dad, can you please eat in the sunroom? Please, thank you. Pretty please? Yeah. I hear every spoon driving me bonkers. And after FIT, what was your next move? Well, I was an RA in school, in college. So once I graduated, um, I had room and board and this job as a, as a counselor um, at FIT for the summer. And my dad did not believe that that was a real job. And his <laughs> answer was that if I didn't have a job in my industry within two weeks of graduation, he was going to be right back. To pick you up. On 27th Street in New York City to pick me up. And, and bring you home? Was that like to help with your younger siblings? or? And I had two little sisters that were so That's why he wanted you home. Younger. No, I think that you know he didn't want me goofing off, as he would say, in the city. And um, <laughs> well, I did manage to have fun while I was in the city. I definitely um, worked hard. So um, the first, while I had this job and I had free room and board, I think I was on duty uh, one 24-hour period a week or maybe twice a week. But I had access to the office and I could do my resume and I had um, a real impetus to get a job quickly. So I wound up getting a job at uh, the Society of Illustrators. It was a freelance job. And at that job, it was a temporary job, and we were collecting entries for a competition. And with that, um, I worked for a woman named Wendy Crabb, and uh, there were all sorts of designers bringing in their entries, from Massimo Vignelli to 
like every designer you would ever want to meet was and you coming got to in. See them all. Not all of them, but a lot of them. But you had to see their designs. I got to see all of their designs, cool. and some of them I actually got to keep. They're extra books um, at the end of the competition. But it was a great experience, but it was temporary. And at the end of that, um, Wendy said, you know, my my husband um, is looking for an assistant at Lieber Katz Partners. And I knew nothing about Lieber Katz Partners. All I knew is I had to have a job or I was mm -hmm. going home. So I wound up um, interviewing for this job with um, a wonderful man named Ian Summers. He was uh, one of the most creative... I follow him on Instagram still. <laughs> yeah. He was one of the most creative men um, that I had met in the industry and just a really good-hearted person, just very pleasant, very upbeat. Um, and I was his assistant um, at this advertising agency, but what I didn't know was on my first day, they asked me to take a typing test. And I was like, oh my gosh, this is gonna be horrible. But it wasn't. Ian really made it an opportunity. Um, I worked in the studio with a guy named Bob Battle and this wonderful woman named Chella Arias. And Chella, if, if you ever see this, um, she was really the key to a lot of the things that I got to do along with Ian. But Ian gave me an opportunity to really um, assist people with creative. I had to do everything he needed me to do, mm. but he would invite me to these meetings. So I would see these incredibly impressive people making presentations and how they would come up with creative. And we were in the General Motors building. So, I mean, it was a big, amazing job. Opportunity. It was an opportunity. I was making no money whatsoever, but that aside. Oh, it was... It was not paid? Uh, oh, oh, no, of course it was paid. Oh, but okay. I basically could afford, I mean, I had an apartment in the city and I could afford to pay my rent and I would have tofu. about 99 cents to either eat dinner or take the subway home. So I would eat a block of tofu and I think that was the source of my soy allergy. But... <laughs> can you hear him in your headphones? I can, I can. Sorry, we're in quarantine and Shane's upstairs playing video games and screaming. Oh, I thought that was dad. No, that's Shane going, no. <laughs> You never know what's going on in yeah. this house. Well, quarantine, but we got an excuse to dress up, so it was kind of fun. Um, okay, so then after working there, what was the kind of, like, what ignited you to be like, I want to start my own company, like, I can have my own agency? Oh, it was many years after working there. Mm -hmm. So from there, I went to an agency. Chella left. Um, Chella Arias left and went to an agency called Dancer Fitzgerald Sample and took me with her as her assistant art director. <laughs> Okay. Um, took me with her to uh, Dancer Fitzgerald Sample. Dancer Fitzgerald Sample then became Saatchi and Saatchi eventually. Um, but within my first two weeks of working at Dancer Fitzgerald Sample, Chella quit. And I was like, oh, geez, I've been here two weeks and she's leaving and I'm, I'm screwed. Alone. <laughs> no, I didn't think, who am I giving assistant to? Yeah. But what happened was I got her job. Um, it took a while, it was within a year, but um, they made me a full-fledged art director. I still have the letter from the creative director, Bob, Bob Gaffey. Awesome. Um, there I worked for a really wonderful woman, Janet Anfuso, um, who was a perfectionist to um, you know, a, a new level of anything that I had ever seen, but she taught me a lot and she was really wonderful to have as a boss, and we're still in touch. Um, but interestingly enough, there, it wasn't, I left that agency, um, I went to another, I, I worked at an agency called Scally McCabe Sloves, which I thought was one of the most amazing agencies. It was truly a creative agency. And um, we did some really great work. There were, um, we worked on uh, the Purdue account. 
Um, but what I, made you realize, like, I want to kind of go off on my own? I'm not to that point yet. I'm not going to know what these names. <laughs> <laughs> so, what's up? You ladies look marvelous. Dad, Dad. And I want to hear the story about how you met your wonderful husband. I then went to an agency called Lomar Shock. And um, at Lomar Shock, it was an interesting place to work. Um, again, a lot of great opportunities. Uh, but for a number of reasons that I won't go into, um, I decided I was going to leave. And I had a lot of work that... Um, I worked on the Xerox account, which was wonderful. Um, I got to fly around on the, the Xerox private jet. Um, but Rochester's not exactly, you know, the most dynamic place to go. And I wound up um, having a lot of kind of work on the side. And there was a company called Synchronol. They were the first infomercial business. Infomercials. And infomercials are these long format commercials. And at the time, um, Synchronol was launching a product and once it was a success they had to build out the brand so there was a lot of work for me to do on the side if I wanted to and traditionally if you work at an agency doing freelance work on the side is kind of a taboo so I wound up having um, an opportunity to start designing things that were happening um, for Synchronol and believe it or not we didn't have cell phones at the time so I had a little beeper and whenever they needed me they would beat me <laughs> And I would call them back and figure out what was going on. But I realized that working for myself was becoming so much more exciting than mm -hmm. working at this agency. And it was only a short time that I did both, just to see if it was going to be possible. And sure enough, um, I wound up, had I had just gotten married, and I wound up saying, you know what, if I'm ever going to make this happen, now's a good time. And I kind of jumped ship and started Quinn Fable um, Advertising. I didn't really think much about what I was going to name it. Um, I didn't really think much. I didn't have a business plan. I just had a lot of work. And, and a let's lot just of, get started. And a lot of ability to get the work done and do it well. And once you do one job well, a lot of people come back to you. Yeah, your work speaks for yourself. Correct. So once you started, um, what age were you when you started Quinfield Love, Desi? 27. So, it was actually like two days before my 27th birthday. Really? But you know, what's really interesting is I've always believed it wouldn't matter if I was doing advertising or cleaning houses or sewing dresses, whatever I would do, I have a really good work ethic mm -hmm. and I have no problem working hard. I have no problem doing everything necessary to get it, something Definitely. done. We call her Action Kathy because if you want something done, you go to my mom and then it's done probably within like 24 hours. If it's possible. Well, yeah, but... But people knew, anyone that hired me knew that I was going to pay attention. And a lot of the people that hired me were people that I worked with at agencies who thought that I was the biggest pain in the ass because I would always ask questions and I would always follow up and I would say, I can't really get started until you get me these facts. And they would be like, geez, can't you just do the job? And I'd be like, no, I need this mm -hmm. to make sure we're off in the right direction. And while they hated me, they knew I was going to do the best job. So a lot of those people immediately called me and started giving me work um, for wherever they were at different brands or, you know, different projects that they had. So I was kind of lucky in that I met a lot of people. They kind of thought of me as a very hard worker and a very creative person. So um, many, many people gave me work. And from there, it just kind of grew. That's amazing. And... 
So going back, so you said you didn't know really, like you didn't think much of naming it. And since it is Quinn Fable, Quinn is my mom's maiden name and Fable is our last name now, my dad's last name. Um, so I want to hear your rendition of when you met dad, because I know on his episode that aired last Monday, which he, I've seen, I know my mom was watching it and I heard her comments as she was listening. She was like, that's not true. That's not how it happened. So to set the record straight. Um, so we did meet at Cats Partners. Mark worked on the 42nd floor and he was a big deal walking around in his Armani suits and <laughs> making a lot more money than I was making. Um, I worked on the 18th floor, so he had the floor wrong. And <laughs> yeah, she I think that. he said the 17th floor. And um, his job was to implement this time tracking system. And my job was to help make sure that all of the time tracking was properly done. Mm -hmm. um, so I guess my role as assistant to the creative director was getting everyone's hours properly entered. And I know we had a couple of accounts that will remain unnamed that we were um, doing the files for and doing the timesheets for. Um, and I wound up, you know, for the measly amount of money that I was making, I had to go work on weekends. So I was getting time and a half, which was great. <laughs> uh, so I was willing to do that. And, uh, my dad, you know, I was really the pair of hands that was going to help him get all these timesheets done. And it was surely not what I wanted to do. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and he loves to say that I kind of flipped my hair back, which was impossible because I had really short hair then. And I flipped my hair back and I said... I'm an art director. I don't do that. And that's so Oh, he true. didn't tell us that. We, I know. That's he tells that to everybody, though. So that really didn't happen. Um, <laughs> but I will say that I was not interested in doing this, and I was really... Um, you just wanted to get to the work. I really wanted to do creative work, so yeah. it was kind of a pain in the neck. But he was uh, in my face all the time. Um, I smoked <laughs> cigarettes at the time, and he was constantly complaining that I smoked cigarettes around his computer, and I was ruining things. Um, I can't believe you smoke cigarettes. I mean, obviously, things change, people change, but knowing you now, the fact that you still smoke cigarettes is like baffling. I'm, I'm the anti-smoker. Baffling to yeah. me. Um, but I will say that Dad, Mark, was whenever I had something that held me up from doing the input of time, uh, of time tracking in these timesheets, he would come down and just make sure everything was okay. So just for entertainment, I would make things not work. <laughs> they're like, hey, we, this we, we can't enter hours. You know, the, the timesheets aren't going in because it's not recording something or certain numbers aren't adding up. And So would you just like put something in that was like um, not make it work? Um, I would do a little voodoo here and there. <laughs> I love so it. So he, he would come down and visit if things weren't working. But um, And what was his line with the smoking? Because I know we were talking about how he said that you were ruining his computers and whatever. Oh, he hated cigarette smoke. Um, later on when we were dating, he told me he could never, ever live with anyone that smoked. And that or he would was, never marry anyone that would smoke. He could never live with anyone Never live with anyone? And I quit um, cold turkey. So I'm I never impressed. smoked. I never smoked again. Why are we hearing music? Because Dad's trying to listen to music and it turns on in the whole house. Quarantine things, guys. Sorry. Um, but yes, that is my mom's side and probably the, the details. Truth. But going on from that, so you guys lived in Manhattan. I lived all over. I lived by FIT. I lived on 25th Street for, right after graduation. Then um, from there I moved to the East Village before it was cool to live in the East Village. I know, now it's like where you want to be. Oh, I would never. Back then. <laughs> never. They couldn't give me an apartment there. Oh. Yeah, but now um, it's nice. It's fun. So no. It's a lot of fun. No. 
Um, and then we lived in Hell's Kitchen. Yeah. Um, until and what did you think of Hell's Kitchen? What did I think of Hell's Kitchen? Or like, um, do you have any story? The one thing that I thought was crazy was we had um, a car that my dad had given me. Um, of course, I never had a car growing up, but suddenly now I'm married and my dad gets me this car. Um, but we His had famous car. line was, you can drive any car you want whenever you can afford it yourself. No, it was, you can have any car you want as long as you can afford to buy it and insure it yourself. Well, yeah, afford it yourself. <laughs> <laughs> so, but yeah. Um, we wound up on having a car that was parked two avenues away from where we lived and we'd have to walk down a side street to get there. Do you want to pause? And yeah, we have a robot. <laughs> it's going to drive me insane. Good for you. I didn't even know what that was. It does it like it resets its home. Anyways. Okay. So we had a number of things. Um, oh, you had a car parked two blocks away, you said? Yeah, we had a car parked two blocks away from where we lived. So whenever we were going someplace, we'd walk to the garage. And we'd be, as we were walking down the street, I would see all of these pink condoms all over the street. What? Right? There were, well, at the time, there were hookers everywhere. Yeah. I mean, there were some kind of shady things that would go on. But I remember saying to Dad, you know, we're walking down the street. I'm like, Mark, what? where are they getting all of these pink condoms from? And he was like what's wrong with you? That's not, those aren't pink condoms, that's lipstick. And I was like, uh, wait, what? There'd be pink condoms lined all over the street, just flipped out all over the curb. And he didn't know? No, I had no <laughs> idea that there weren't pink condoms. I, oh, I couldn't imagine why there were so many pink condoms everywhere and they weren't pink condoms, they were condoms with lipstick on them. <gasps> no, yeah. now I get it. it when you disgusting. first said it, I was like, wait, what? So, I mean, there were a number of things that I was naive to, <laughs> not growing up in the city, but, you know, growing up on Long Island, and uh, that was one of them. Wow. Yeah, I, I've heard a, a bunch of stories of how Hell's Kitchen used to be definitely a different place, and now it's, like, I used to walk home at night alone with, like, an earphone and listening to music and feel completely safe, so it was definitely a different time. Oh, it was so different. Very different. Jose wants to know, when did she realize that Mark Fable... In parentheses, the man was the one. Um, well, we had dated for a long time before we got married, so I'm going to say probably right before we got engaged. Um, there were a number of guys that I had gone out with over the years, but none that I really could see myself being with in the long term. So I would say, you know, probably by the time I was 25. He was just a very nice guy. But like, was there something that was like, oh wait, this was what I know? I think when you spend enough time with somebody and you don't want to be without them mm -hmm. is when you kind of know. Yeah, that's so, it. Somewhere around that. And of course, the older we got, the more time we spent together. Yeah, someone says, um, one or endless things that you have learned from Mark. To quit smoking. <laughs> well, quit smoking was one of them. Um, I think he's probably one of the more patient people. I'm definitely not known for my patience. My dad is like the most patient person I know on the earth. And not many people can be that way. I'm not. I can, I try, but. I am definitely not the most patient person. So I've learned um, a lot about, you know, what things should make you crazy and what things shouldn't. So I've gotten a little bit of that education from Mark. 
I know we discussed this, but Savannah wants to know um, anything else about starting your own business as a female. Well, it depends what you're doing. I mean, there's a lot of advantages to being oh, a minority. And being a female business owner. Sorry, Shane just ran by. Okay, being yeah. asked me the question. Again. Okay. There are a lot of advantages, um, depending on what you do and what line of industry you're in, but being a women-owned business um, is considered a minority-owned business. And for large companies, they look to have the level of diversity that's needed. So um, there are some advantages, like for instance, where um, a nationally certified women-owned business, which gets credits for some of our clients. Um, and in order for them to get contracts, they need to show that they have a diverse um, group of people serving their business. Shane, can you try to be quiet? No. He's literally like slamming doors. Anyway, sorry guys, quarantine episode. Um, did you find... Shane, are you kidding? The kid's hungry. I'm getting food, but I'm not baking extra You absolutely are, you're slamming things around. Just hope he doesn't come in here burping and farting. Um, was there anything that you found to be harder, like as a female in business when you started? Or well, there's a lot of industries that are kind of men only. I had a really interesting time in that. Um, for the work that I did, people believed what I was telling them, and they believed in the creative and the strategic approaches that I recommended. So I was really lucky because even in an industry um, or a room of all men, a conference room of all men, I could present to them and convince them that what I was recommending um, was something that they should be doing. So I do think that if you believe in what you're doing and you have that level of confidence, others are going to believe you. The number one thing that I think is so critical is mm -hmm. the ability to work hard. And if you don't want to work hard and you feel that there's certain things that are below you or certain things that you don't want to do, you're not going to succeed. I mean, you really have to have a good work ethic and you really have to be willing to you know, put in 110% at all times. And a lot of our success at Quinn Fable was because we would do the work that other agencies were not willing to do um, at the time the work was asked for. Mm -hmm. So if someone on a Friday said, listen, we need this campaign done or we need um, these brochures done or we need something done over the weekend, other agencies would be like, no, we'll discuss it on Monday and on Monday we'd be done with it yeah. and collecting their money. <laughs> Um, another question from Alyssa, what is your favorite thing about being a mother? Probably my favorite thing about being a mother is just watching, um, how these little people develop into big people. There's something, um, really wonderful about seeing a little baby. And of course you have no idea what you're going to get, um, <laughs> about seeing a little baby and then seeing this baby be a toddler and then a little person and then, you know, a mini little person <laughs> and then an adult. And it's, you know, one story that dad told that wasn't true. And it was kind of true. You just made me think of it was Quinn. And of course, um, Oh, kindergarten at kindergarten. And we took off the day of work to take him to kindergarten. And, we literally, I remember exactly what he was wearing, down to his socks. And we took him to school, and just as we pulled up, he turned to us and he said, whatever you do, don't hold my hand and don't kiss me. Bye! And hopped out of the car and left. And we were like, what? That was probably the most anticlimactic, terrible 
situation and outcome we had expected from this. We thought he was going to cry or he was not going to go or going to go in and take a leave. picture of him maybe like you never cried at school either. No, I Shane, forget it. You could I mean, leave this, him? No, he would start vomiting. And then they were like, "I right, pack the kid up. He's got to go." Once Shane saw that um, we were kind of leaving and distancing ourselves. It was a lollipop school, and he was young, but he wanted to go um, to this school, or at least I thought he did. You know, we would bring him there, and he literally worked himself up into such a tizzy as he saw us leaving that he'd start projectile vomiting. And they were like, you know what? This kid can't stay here. Pack him up. He's got to go. That's incredible. And a year later, he went back to that school um, and was much better, but he was not having it. He did not want me to leave him. That's so funny. Um, which of your traits and qualities do you share with Quinn, Shane, and I, if you think? Um, I think Quinn and I have the same level of impatience. Um, that's an absolute given. Um, I think you and I share a level of creativity. Yeah. And I think Shane shares a level of compassion because I think I am always um, overly concerned about making sure that everyone is kind of happy and, you know, yeah, okay. Um, well, someone wanted to know. You could have given me these questions in advance. I don't know say No, that. that's the whole point of a podcast here. It's on the spot. Safety factors that you worry about when I travel. Uh, um, I at times don't think that you get how big and bad of a world. Oh, I get it. I don't think I, so. I definitely see it through rose-colored glasses, though. I definitely see it as... But in my defense, if you haven't been to certain countries, like things, the news makes it look terrible. Well, the one good thing is the anti-malaria drug that you had is what they're using for coronavirus now. So you've got it in your system. Yeah, they say that that doesn't leave your system, but yeah, I think that's also the reason I have rashes every. But your week. travels, I think you've gone to some remote places that um, have put you in situations that could be dangerous, um, unbeknownst to you. Absolutely, but I also think being in New York City daily, we encounter that all the time. So we could be in a dangerous situation walking to work, like when that scissor fell out of the sky a block away from our office. We that was were crazy. Walking to the office and out of nowhere, I kid you not, it was two inches in front of my face, a scissor falls and hits the sidewalk. And I was just like That could have been bad. And I was like, if I was one step quicker, that would have gone directly through my skull. I often think about all of the accidents I've seen in New York, all of the places I could have been on September 11th, um, you know, all of the weird things I've seen. I've seen people like right in front of me get hit by buses or cars or taxis and flip in the air. So, uh, you know, as grandma says, I often think that, you know, when it's your time, it's your time. But I do think that there's a level of awareness. I think I'm crazy aware of things. Yeah. Um, and, you know, there's a level of awareness that some people have and some people don't. I'm definitely hyper aware when I travel. Like, I look at everybody. But that also comes from being in Manhattan because you have to be that way when you're walking around the city alone at night as well. I think so. You know, you've got to be careful. I mean, I'll tell you another story. Dad and I were coming down 44th Street by Schubert Alley one night. And we were in our late 20s. Oh. And, you know, 
action Kathy, as I often say. Mm -hmm. You know, we're walking down the street and there's three people. Um, it looked like a guy and a girl getting mugged right by Schubert Alley. And we're across the street. And as we're approaching, I'm like, we've got to go help them. Yeah. And I grabbed dad to go run. And he's like, what are you crazy? Get over here. And he's like, they're trying to get us over there. They're trying to involve us in this. And I'm like, they're getting mugged. And dad was like, get over here. So we're standing there in the middle of the street and I start screaming at the top of my lungs. My mom can scream. I have a very, very loud voice. Police, police. And they turned around and they were like, F you. And they were obviously trying to get us over there so they could rob us. And that was when you learned the street smarts of... There are certain the things. Like I mean, I'm always willing to help people, which yeah. kind of, I think, can be dangerous and defaulted sometimes. Yeah, if you're not careful. Um, but... No, that was one of the ones where I learned, and Dad was on the money. They yeah, definitely wanted to suck us into this. And that's crazy. Rob us. I mean, I've come across some crazy people in Manhattan, but luckily nothing quite like that. I've um, seen some crazies too. Patrick wants to know who is your favorite child. Tell us how naughty Lane was as a kid. Who is my favorite? Well, it depends who you ask. Who my favorite child is? Everyone. <laughs> we has all a know. Someone else literally asked. Ready? I'll show you it. Um, why is Shane the favorite? <laughs> I'm not even the one who asked it. Um, no, but I say you can't pick favorites, so I'm not going to let her even answer that question. I don't think I have a favorite child. There's different things about all of you that I love. <laughs> I mean, it seems that Shane's the favorite because you're looking at him when he's in college. Oh, and... it's because he's the youngest, and every mom has that spot for their youngest child that's like, this is my baby. He's going to grow People up. People can say that for the firstborn. People can say no. that for my only girl. No. Middle oh, childs are notorious. Everyone thinks you're the most spoiled. It's not about spoiled. It's about who's the favorite. It has nothing to do everyone with being spoiled. Everyone thinks you're the favorite. No. Like who? Everyone. Who's everyone? Everyone I know. Name one person. Grandma does. No. Oh my goodness. Okay. Um, someone wants your recipe for your lemon bars. My recipe for my lemon bars. I ate them on the live and someone saw them. Oh, well, sorry to say that's not a from scratch recipe. <laughs> yeah, no, no. That They're came really out of a box, but though. they were good. You need butter, eggs, and a box of this stuff that I made. But yeah, if you were to give someone um, advice on starting their own business, what is like something paramount or little? like? You need to know what you do, know what you do well, know why you're different from anybody else that does it and you gotta work hard you gotta work at it even when things are bad you've got to just continually plug away you've got to really um, put 110 percent effort into it and i think that if it's something that you're dedicated to that's going to come across and i think that if it's something that you're dedicated to you're going to do very well thanks sophia for the question um kate i've said how she became the boss she is today. Well, we kind of went through that. Hi, Kate. <laughs> I've always been somewhat bossy, I guess. No, like being like the boss, you know what I mean? Being like a CEO and like, she meant it in a positive way, not bossy. <laughs> well, I think, you know, if, if you have a dream and um, you really want to go for it, you kind of become the boss. Um, Do you have any plans to explore the Philippines? I definitely, um, once coronavirus is over, um, I probably will go to the Philippines with Mark and with Lane. I hope so. And we, Aileen would be so happy. I love Aileen. Aileen, you are the best. Yeah, my mom tried to get Aileen to stay. Wanted her to was. Stay, yeah, yeah, you really wanted her to stay extra. Another year, yeah. Do you have any funny memories of when Quinn and Shane and I were little kids? Oh, 
tons of funny memories. Um, just tons. Uh, Thank you, Burn, for the question, by the way. Burn is a huge fan. I think my most fond memories, um, I can think of individual incidents, but my most fond memories were how they all got along. When I grew up, my sister and I were a year apart, and oh my God, did we have massive fights, like scratching, kicking. I mean, we would have fights. Really? Oh my gosh. And then she would jump on, we both shared a bedroom, and she would jump on the bed, and my dad would be coming up the stairs because he was all pissed off, and she'd dive under the covers and leave me jumping. And, and then I'd get trouble. beaten, yeah. Um, but you guys always kind of got along. There was no hair pulling. Um, there were not a lot of punching fight. There was none of that. I used to pinch Shane, but other than that. Yeah, but there were It was like nominal. There were not a lot of physical fights. Um, you know, I think there's so many funny stories. Um, some of them I probably shouldn't tell and have them memorialized. But um, I think... Some of the odd things that happened were, you know, the time that Quinn put a sewing needle in a door jam and you walked on top of it and it broke off in between your toes. Quinn's a psychopath. No, I'm kidding. But it was kind of crazy. How old was he? I was, I couldn't talk, so I was probably You were two. two. You were around two and so Quinn he had was to be around six. five. Oh. Five and a half, six, yeah. Yeah, four, we we're four years apart. And he put the sewing needle in the door jam of our front door. And somehow I'm all, I've been barefoot my whole life. Like I am barefoot right now. I never, I don't know. I'm always barefoot, but I walked on it. I don't remember this though. So it's really, you could tell the story because. So we came home from work and Lane was limping and kind of whimpering. And my mom and dad were there and making her walk around. My mom kept putting her shoes back on and telling her to walk. And I was like, no, there's definitely, if you, if you pushed between her big toe and her second toe, you could feel something and was i like wailing at this point no no you weren't really um but you were kind of whimpering and i could feel something and you know you didn't want me touching your foot so i took it to the emergency room and they did an x-ray and there was a broken sewing needle in your foot and they had they couldn't get it because it was really embedded between your big toe and your second toe and um in the part of your foot not in your toes mm -hmm. and they had to remove it surgically so that was kind of, and I knew Quinn had put it there, which was crazy. Nice. That is craziness. Then there were times, you know, when Quinn was two, you weren't even born yet. You know, dad and I, we had to alarm our whole house because there was Quinn at six in the morning in his diaper, pulling on his boots out in our backyard. And we were surrounded by a brook and he was like knee deep in water in this massive nor'easter. And like, who would have ever thought that a two year old would have gotten out and what just happened? Testing, one, two, three, it's back. No, it's not back, that's gone. Oh my God. The whole thing is gone? The whole thing is gone? What the f was that? Mm, I'm gonna vomit. Oh my God, that was so good too. <laughs> Let's do it again. Yeah, but I don't want to ask the same questions because, like, that was still good. We'll see what it sounds like on that, though. Or we can just do it again, Lane. Son of a bitch. <laughs> hey, guys. So as I'm editing this, I'm realizing I didn't really have an outro. We ended up filming a second episode right after this. So thank you to my mom. That will be out next Monday. So make sure to check that out. It'll have much better and much clearer audio. 
with less interruptions because nobody was cooking lunch in the middle of it. But if you guys want to support this podcast, please consider doing so at anchor.fm slash lingfable. And even if it's just 99 cents a month, it helps ensure that there will be future episodes every Monday at 7 a.m. Um, and if you guys are watching on YouTube, make sure to leave the purple heart emoji because that is my mom's favorite color. Okay, I have to go finish editing this. Thank you guys for making it this far, even though it was just the camera's audio. I promise next week's will sound much better. Love you guys. Thanks for the support.